unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we thank you once again for listening. Coming up on this episode, we will welcome Frank Murtaugh of Memphis Flyer and the Memphis Magazine. Frank standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a quick couple of moments. First, of course, we will discuss with Frank these two particular topics I wanted to bring up up the top of the show. Of course, certainly our thoughts and prayers still with Damar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills defensive back who collapsed on the field in Cincinnati on Monday night, still in critical condition. Hearing some reports of some improving conditions and certainly our thoughts and prayers are with that young man, his family, his teammates, and all all the above. We certainly uh, wish him the very, very best. Very difficult situation the league had to encounter as far as what's going to happen with the game itself. We don't know yet. Uh, week 18 is still scheduled as it is, but we will see what happens in relation to if this game will be made up or not. Um, and again, uh, just a just a tough, tough incident. You know, words don't do it justice. Uh, but again, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, Demar Hamlin. And on the other end of the spectrum, on Monday, we saw the Tulane Green Wave come up with a miraculous fourth quarter comeback to beat USC in the Cotton Bowl. So another New Year's Six victory for a group of five school, also from the American Athletic Conference like UCF was. And look at that. They say these teams didn't deserve to be in considered for the playoffs. So in a 12-team expanded format, which is coming soon, this is what you would have uh, gotten to lane, advancing to the next round of the college football playoffs. So the future is brighter in that regard, but uh, just the same. It's a sweet, sweet victory and an incredible turnaround for the Green Wave as they went from two wins a year ago to winning a New Year Six Bowl. Our conversation with Frank Murtaugh, that's coming up next. Central Florida, it's Pebo Bryson. Baby, can you stop the rain? Double Grammy and double Oscar Award winner, Pebo Bryson, performing live at the third annual Apopka International Jazz Festival, Saturday, March 25th, at the beautiful Apopka Amphitheater, hosted by world-renowned saxophonist Kim Water, along with urban keyboardist Kayla Water and jazz violinist King of String, Ken Ford. Pebo Bryson, live. For complete details, log on to Apopka International Jazz Fest. All right, we go to Memphis, Tennessee, and our good friend Frank Murtaugh, he's with Memphis Magazine and the Memphis Flyer, and of course we have to bring him in to a little Chuck Berry Memphis, Tennessee music. Frank, great to have you back on the show. Yeah, those tunes sound wonderful, Jeff. Yeah, hey, Happy New Year. Good happy, to hear from you. Happy New Year. It is great to have you uh, here with us once again as uh, we start off 2023. We're going to bat around a few sports topics. And, of course, uh, Monday was a very interesting day. I mean, we probably had the uh, the extreme ends of of parallel in the, in the world of sports. Early in the day, Tulane pulls off a dramatic New Year's Six, come from behind upset over USC. Uh, and then uh, 
Monday night, we get the sad news of Damar Hamlin collapsing on the field, having to be resuscitated. Uh, you know, uh, highs and lows of sports in a nutshell right there. Um, first, let's talk about Damar Hamlin and, and his situation. So uh, certainly it, it looked like an innocuous hit, but uh, he collapses. They have to resuscitate him on the field. There's quite a lengthy delay. There's some discussion that the, they're going to resume play. But the NFL eventually decides that they will not continue the game at that point. So give me your first initial thoughts uh, on that unfortunate incident on Monday night. Yeah, Jeff, one of the more horrifying uh, things that any of us have seen in, in, the, the, in the context of sports in, in our lifetimes. Um, I was I consider myself fortunate that I wasn't watching it live. I had watched so much college football, as you mentioned earlier in the day, that I was actually doing something you know other than um, staring at at a gridiron, um, but tuned in shortly after um, uh, Hamlin collapsed and, and was taken to the hospital. So I, I kind of saw the, the, the winding down uh, from the stadium and the reports, and they were they were obviously uh, they just they, they froze you in your seat. Um, um, here we are two days later, and I, I think uh, we can be cautiously optimistic um, first that that uh, Demar is still alive and with us and being cared for, and I get. Um, Various. I've seen various reports that there's you know progress being made. So let's just let's hope for a recovery. I, I think it's a it's a reminder, uh, Jeff, of um, how how fragile uh, the human heart is. I th- I'm, I'm I I believe this is ultimately going to be a story more about um, the heart and, and its function in, in each of us than it is um, a, a football story. Uh, you know the the brutality of football to me hasn't changed. What what goes on on a football field is something we we fans and reporters have to to weigh in our consciences as we watch it and you know buy tickets and, and what have you the the brain injuries the the orthopedic uh, trauma that the sport causes that hasn't changed since Monday night um, I think what Demar Hamlin has gone through um, it, it, you know only knowing what I've heard reported it sounds to me like a, a similar incident to what happened to Chris Pronger the, the hockey Hall of Famer in the late 90s he was hit uh, in his chest area by a, a, a puck, you know, a, a hard slap shot. And he went, he went into cardiac arrest and, and would have died there on the ice were it not for the efforts of first responders uh, and CPR, just as, as DeMar Hamlin, um, life was saved on Monday night. I think we're going to end up discussing, you know, how fragile uh, the heart can be, you know, when it suffers, you know, blunt trauma as, um, as Hamlin did Monday night. Um, but but yeah, it's it's the kind of story that you just you pull back and you just you don't care so much about the score, um, the upcoming playoffs. Uh, you know who's going to win this award or that, and you just want Demar Hamlin to have a, a healthy and, and full life, and, and that's what let's all you know say our the right thoughts and prayers in the coming days that that that's the ultimate outcome. Yeah, and so uh, one of the uh, interesting stories that came out of this, of course, now um, his uh, toy fund that he had uh, for the city of Pittsburgh and uh, where he is from. Uh, so an outpouring of love and support for him. I think it's now over $5 million it's incredible. that has been, incredible. been raised. So it's, uh, that's that's amazing to see you know the human spirits rallying around a young man like that. Uh, that certainly you know, kind of almost brings the, the, the waterworks to my eyes there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, you know, <laughs> you'd like to think we could give that way without someone suffering this kind of horrific trauma, but when it happens and the outpouring occurs, 
as you say, Jeff, it just it, it reminds us that there's there's so much more to uh, to fandom than than merely you know a, a player in uniform and spectators in the seat or, or those of us in our our living rooms um, watching on television. It's uh, the connection is deeper than that. I, I was touched myself by seeing the uh, the fans uh, in, in many of them Bengals uniforms outside the, the hospital in Cincinnati. I'm lighting a candle for for Demar. Monday night, um, yeah, we, we all we all have to pull for each other. You know that that's the that's the human condition, and uh, we we learn about it. Um, those of us who, who pay so close attention to sports, we learn about it. Sadly, through uh, trauma like this. Yeah, and of course, uh, with that kind of good stuff that comes out of it, then we get the the hot take artists that uh, come into into play on this. And uh, and trust me, I do not watch these debate shows on 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 the four letter or Fox Sports One or whatever. But uh, you know, Skip Bayless, you know, and, and I have many, and I can say a real strong words about him, but I'll I'll keep it a little yeah. lighter because this is a family program. But he is like right. he is like the turd in the swimming pool. I mean, yep. he, you yeah. know, he's tweeting about, oh, they have to resume this game and, and all the implications yeah. and all that. You know, it, it's yeah. just such a disgusting display uh, in relation. To, you know, and, 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 and you know, people are taking the NFL to task for taking so long to call the game. But, you know, I don't, I don't know that you can really point a lot of fingers in there. You know, all the attention was on trying to make sure uh, DeMar was being saved. Uh, but. Yeah, right. I, I hate I hate the I hate the hot take artists that uh, that 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 pull this kind of crap. Yeah, you know modern uh, modern media and that includes modern sports media is about attention grabbing. Jeff and and Skip Bayless is uh, is a preeminent attention grabber, and that that's what that was about. I I would like to believe, you know, as I you know thought to the Grinch and how tiny his heart was. I'd like to think that in Skip Bayless's heart of hearts. Uh, that was strictly a, an attention grabber, and and he did not have his priorities as it, they appeared with that you know commentary in getting a football game played in, in the aftermath of such a, a horrific uh, incident. Um, you know, I as, as far as the perspective and and how the game was managed, what I did was it what I was able to see in the aftermath, as I said, those men down on the field, and that doesn't. Not, not just the Buffalo Bills, but the Cincinnati Bengals players and, and the staff and support personnel. There was trauma among them. What they saw and witnessed being up close to DeMar Hamlin uh, is not something that any human being wants to experience, uh, um, you know, to say nothing on live television, but being there in the arena or being there nearby. Um, th- those human beings, let's forget football players, those human beings weren't going to be able to continue with their evening, whatever their activity might be. Were it playing music, they would not have been able to pick up their instruments. Um, you know, were it, uh, you know, you know, choose your, were, were, if there's a, you know, a stage production, they would not have been able to recite their lines. In this case, it was a football game. There's no way they were going to be able to continue it. The fact that there was any debate at all, I, that, that to me is just, it, it, it's almost like it, we, we, need to, we need to fill a story gap here, so let's find something to discuss. There, there, was, no, there was no debate on how to handle that matter and uh, NFL did, did the right thing. And um, I, I think now the question will be, you know, are there playoff implications? I, I saw Bob Costas last night saying the likelihood is that games won't be played. And I think that's the right way to do it. You, you look at winning percentages. Um, these are both playoff teams. Um, you know, here's hoping they can recover emotionally in time for a, a playoff game to matter. But um, that, that'll, that, that'll all unfold and take care of itself. And, you know, there's, 
you gotta you gotta tune out the noise. I know you do. I, I try to, um, but those who are, are impacted negatively by the likes of Skip Bayless just have to tune it out and, and keep their thoughts with Demar Hamlin, his family, and, and friends. Yeah, and I think the other thing that, that has to be applauded in in this is you know you look at you know you know no, nobody expects a player to have to be resuscitated on the field, but you look at the amount of medical personnel rescue people that are on the scene in an NFL game, uh, you know, you know, they literally were out there, you know, in just seconds yeah, to, to, yeah. to aid this young man. And, and, you, oh, yeah. and you just have to be amazed at the, the amount of uh, amount of thought put into the, having that kind of resource for an emergency situation. Yeah. Yeah. What, what incredible perspective on uh, the, the nature of, of heroism. You know, we, we tend to, we want to call the the quarterback who wins the big game on Monday night a hero. I mean, the heroes are the the responders who were there, um, you know, saving this young man's life. I mean, qu- quite literally. And uh, yeah, yeah, you can't say enough. I, I mentioned the, the Pronger incident from uh, you know more than twenty years ago. That was in an NHL arena. I think if there's any concern, Jeff, it would be on on lower levels of sports and this kind of heart trauma. That, that again, I think we're going to learn about. Um, the, the electrical function of a heart and, and how it can be impacted by, by blunt force. Um, what happened on, on the lower levels, high school or even you know middle school, football, hockey, baseball, what have you, and d- do they have the resources that can approximate what we saw um, in an NFL stadium on a, on a scary Monday night? The answer right now is no, but can we get to a place where we can make sure that someone on a, on a field in, in you know rural Tennessee on a Friday night in November um, doesn't have a, a worse outcome than Demar Hamlin had, and, and how how the uh, those resources, both human and technolo- technological, um, can be utilized to, to save lives. It, it was, and that that's the greatest part of the story. I'm glad you brought it up. Those first responders, they're the heroes, and they they are the the individuals that need to be saluted in the right way when the right time comes. Yeah, I had heard the, that they had a uh, crew of 29 people that were yeah. in, in that situation. And you also think about the fact that, you know, um, and, and this is stuff they, they, they deal with on a daily basis in the real world. And you think right. about how, you know, right. with all this chaos going on around them and how calm they are yeah. executing their jobs is just remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, it, it truly is. And, and again, I, I, I just, the, the juxtaposition with football in this case, you know, we talk about pressure, you know, can the quarterback, lead his team, you know, to a game-winning drive down four with, you know, 90 seconds to play. That ain't pressure. <laughs> we saw pressure. We saw pressure Monday night in a, in a form that we just – we don't want to witness, Jeff. We, I, I don't ever want to go through that experience again. You know, but but the, the thing is, those types of pros live it daily, as you said, and they're doing it when the cameras are not on. They're doing it in, in homes and in workplaces and hospitals – where we don't see it and don't have, you know, national commentators um, bringing you the, you know, the play-by-play, so to speak. Uh, they're they're truly amazing. First responders, uh, emergency personnel, those, you know, the paramedics. I can't I can't salute them enough uh, tonight, and and, uh, I, and I'm going to work toward you know, saluting them them better in, in the days ahead. Yeah, amen to that. Um, of course, uh, you know, we talked about the highs and lows of sports, and you know, Monday was a was a great day for the American Athletic Conference, for the group of five, and in particular for the Tulane Green Wave, who pulled off a miraculous 
come from behind scenario down 15 with just over four minutes to go. And they win 46-45 in the Cotton Bowl over USC and a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Um, you know, I, I honestly can tell you, I almost rooted as hard for them as I did when UCF won their New Year's Six. It was quite captivating. Yeah, you know, you just described a Hollywood script, uh, Jeff, that I, I'm not sure Hollywood would accept, you know, two weeks ago. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Willie Fritz's club, I had a sense that, that Tulane was a little <laughs> a little better than anyone had given them credit for in October when Memphis went down there and just, you know, got their hats handed to them in the first, in the first half. Felt like, you know, the Green Wave was a different bunch this year. But, yeah, sure enough, over the course of – of their um, their fourteen game season, uh, what a great story! And and a story in a year that the American is losing three of its its, its big players in, in UCF and Houston and Cincinnati for Tulane to win that game and against one of the you know college football's blue bloods and as you said the Heisman Trophy winner. It's um, what I love most about it, Jeff, is that it's not your story where you know a, a hotshot coach came in and turned the program around in a year or two, whatever. This is Willie Fritz who's been there had some success and also had a really down year last season, you know, two and 10, but he, but sometimes a coach staying in place can figure it out, you know, can figure out that roster, can build the roster, can, can work, um, you know, work with his, his coordinators on, on scheme adjustments and, and strategic adjustments and personnel and come up with a magical season. And that's what, what Fritz did with uh, Tulane and, uh, yeah, they had an unforgettable, you know, you know, undefeated season way back, you know, half, half our lifetimes ago. But um, this one, the, the 22 campaign, will will never be forgotten in New Orleans, to say the least. Yeah, and I think of the job that Willie Fritz did, you know, you know, because he has created a culture there. And even though they only won two games last season, you know, he has guys like, you know, I mean, Ty J Spears could have transferred anywhere he wanted to. Probably <laughs> he's that he's that good. You know, Michael Pratt could have been out there on the open market. Uh, Nick Anderson on the defense. I mean, the fact that those guys stayed and 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 said, you know, we're better than a two win team, and we're going to show you is is remarkable. Jeff, yeah, you mentioned culture, and isn't that the trick? You know, convincing your your best players, maybe your your hidden jewels, to stay there and and no longer be hidden by emerging as a, a championship caliber team together. You know, it sounds hopelessly old fashioned, you know, that the, the idea of, of, um, you know, gelling as a cohesive bunch, you know, even if the, you know, the roster is a hundred players deep and being something bigger than yourself. Uh, that's what Tulane did this season. There it's a, it's a great, great story in, in a season. I would add that I'm not sure there's been a better um, new year six, you know, let alone the, the, the college football playoffs since the the format began nine years ago. This was just you know one game after another. Um, and, and Tulane's uh, Tulane stands out at the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, it, they they certainly did. And uh, you know, and again, just the, the 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 biggest thing that I find interesting is that big come from behind win. Nobody has, at least I haven't heard anybody bring up the fact that. Uh, Willie Fritz made a poor decision trying an onside kick early in the fourth quarter when they were only down five, and nobody remembers that now. <laughs> right. It's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> Final score erases, erases misdeeds. Yeah, yeah, no question. Yeah, and the, you know, and, the, and they get a safety, which saved them from having to try a two-point conversion to win after the second touchdown. So, yeah, just yeah. You know, well, that that goes back to what I said about Hollywood's going to be telling you, no, 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 this doesn't happen. Safety? <laughs> no way. No, a difference-making safety, that doesn't happen. 
Sure did. Yeah, it's a yeah, it, it is totally crazy. That that is for sure. So as far as the, the the bowl season, the college football playoff and everything like that. So you, you mentioned it. We had two great semifinal games. Uh, we're going to get uh, TCU against Georgia in, in the championship game. Uh, what are your thoughts about that contest? I mean, TCU is certainly uh, a, a team that has been very, very resilient all season long. And Georgia had to find a way and, and claw their way past Ohio State. So this could be this could be quite an interesting contest. Yeah, you know, Sonny Dykes is another one. He's sort of like Willie Fritz. He's just he seems like a guy who has it together and, and has figured out modern college football and and what it takes. Uh, it's you know it's it's disorienting to think back to the Big Twelve championship, Jeff. You know, and TCU actually lost to Kansas State, and, and Kansas State was just you know abused by Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And here TCU is now tasked with with beating Georgia, you know, the team that actually won the SEC. It's it's a steep climb for the Horn Frogs. I, I um, I'm convinced we're going to see a um, a rare back to back, you know, champion with the Georgia Bulldogs. But you know the the way this uh, this series of games, if you want to call it that, you know, everyone's scoring 40 points, even the losers. Uh, I would I would think it's going to be a high scoring affair, and and uh, you know. Drink your coffee. Stay up for the fourth quarter because I'm, I'm sure that's when the game's going to be decided. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of right there with you on that. Uh, yeah, and, and you mentioned it. Yeah, TCU had lost to Kansas State in their title game, and you know, thankfully they did not get penalized for that because you know right. Kansas State right. had a terrific season and all that. And uh, you look, you look at, uh, at the at the Big Twelve Conference getting into the championship game. Uh, you know, we. You, you know, TCU could do something that Oklahoma could not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's an upset. It, it would almost fit the scenario, the, 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 the script we're talking about here, Jeff, you know, with what Tulane did. And, um, you know, I, but again, if you held me to the fire and, and I had, you know, actual cash money, I, I, I'd have a hard time betting against Stetson Bennett and the Georgia Bulldogs. They're, they're, a mighty, they're a mighty bunch. Yeah, no question about that. So uh, let's talk about uh, some pro football a little bit. Uh, you know, we both obviously are big Dallas Cowboy fans from 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 many of the glory days, many many years. Days ago. gone by, yeah. Yes, days <laughs> gone by. And as I look at them going into this week, they still have an outside chance to win the NFC East, depending uh, the outcome of the Eagles game this week and whatnot. But you know, this is very it's very interesting. You don't win 12 games by accident, but I'm still very, very cautious about what's ahead for them. Yeah, yeah. The Cowboys have had a, had a really good season. And uh, as you say, you don't put up a 12-4 and four mark without being really good. Um, you also, I, I don't think, blow a, you know, a double-digit lead against the Jacksonville Jaguars without you know, having some, some frailties to address. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott has been interception-prone since coming back from his injury. Uh, you're not going to get to the Super Bowl if you're, you're throwing picks. Um, you know, the Cowboys play defense, and they have the last couple of years. Um, you know, Micah Parsons being a huge part of that. And I've found that to be uh, somewhat of a, um, you know, a distinction between these Cowboys and those that you and I have watched from sort of the, the latter part of the, the Jason Garrett era. Because um, defense travels, as they say. I think the Cowboys, you know, you know they, they just – they just shut down the Minnesota Vikings, and, and the Vikings are a very good team um, up in Minneapolis. 
uh, not long ago, and, and beating the Eagles, uh, you know, in, in Dallas was a huge win. They're, they're a team that, you know, I, you know, considering their brand, it's hard to imagine the Dallas Cowboys sneaking up on anybody. But I think the Cowboys might, you know, sneak up on the NFC if they get in and can be healthy and Dak can make the right decisions uh, when he's when he's tossing the football. Um, there are three or four teams that could come out of the NFC, and, and, and Dallas is one of them. Yeah, and uh, I, they have been a little bit prone on defense lately. I do think that has a lot to do with the uh, absence of uh, Leighton Vander Esch, who had uh, had really yeah, had really stepped yep. up, you know, back to, right. to more of his form this season, and he calls right. the defensive plays. Um, right, but yeah, they they have they have the ability to turn the ball over and uh, and 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 do things on the defensive side of the ball that that wreak havoc on the other team's offense. I'm, you know, just hoping that, you know, Mike McCarthy is going to be a better game day manager <laughs> come the playoffs because yeah. he does make some questionable moves. Right, right. You know, the likelihood, uh, let's assume the Eagles, you know, beat the Giants who, who have no motivation this week. They're, they're locked into the sixth seed and the Cowboys are that, that top wild card. They'll play more than likely Tampa Bay on the road um, in that opening game and, you know, Tom Brady's Tom Brady, so you you better bring your your A game for that first game, and you got you know teams that don't get that by have to win three just to get to the Super Bowl. It's um, uh, it's it's a battle ahead, but um, you know the Cowboys in, in some respects their defense reminds me of way back in '92 where they did not send a player to the Pro Bowl, but they led the NFL in, in defense and uh, and won the Super Bowl and, and mightily over the Bills that season. And, you know guys like you know Tony Tolbert. Uh, Ken Norton, guys that are, you know, uh, Larry Brown, Darren Woodson, a great player, but not not in the Hall of Fame. These guys are remembered now, but they weren't such they weren't stars then. And you got a similar Dallas unit right now, you know, say for Micah Parsons and, and maybe Trevon Diggs. Um, you know, maybe that'll be a motivator for them. But um, uh, yeah, I, I I tend to come back to quarterback play, Jeff, and and Tom Brady's not going to make mistakes. His team may not be good enough to beat the Cowboys or whoever they end up facing in the playoffs. But is Dak, Dak Prescott going to be able to play a, a mistake-free game um, or, or two or three of them? That's what it's going to be. Uh, that's what's going to be required for them to get back to the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yes, it has. And, of course, the Cowboys are 0 for Brady, so hopefully maybe the, the odds yeah. are about to go in their favor. And, of course, the big thing right. I want the, – the big thing that I'm hoping they will do, which they have done a pretty good job of this season – is is get uh, the the man you covered in college, Tony Pollard? Get him the ball. <laughs> yes, yes, in, indeed. Tony's a, a great story. I, I, I love every touchdown he scores. He, he's such a terrific young man, and it, it, this success couldn't happen to a better individual. Um, and, and you bring up something important, Jeff. The Cowboys can run the ball. I mean, they can play defense and they can run the ball. You, you, you've got the situation now where it's almost. Uh, I just finished reading a great book, um, Seventeen and Zero, about the nineteen seventy two Dolphins and. Mercury Morris and, and Larry Zonka and Jim Kick. The Cowboys have a, a version of that in their their Tony Pollard Zeke Elliott uh, tandem. You know, you, it's gotten to a point where you you're looking at Zeke for the, to get the ball there inside the ten yard line for for crunch yards and and Pollard, you know, uh, in the in the midfield. And um, that that's another thing. If, if as long as they're not fumbling, you know, that if that offensive line can can grind out yardage with those two ball carriers uh, that's another thing that uh that will be in the cowboys favor um here we are in january you know come january come late january or, or let alone february 
Yeah. And I, and I'm going to point to something too, that, uh, you know, the Jason Peters uh, signing is probably been one of the most unheralded signings, but look how valuable he has become. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, it, when, when, uh, when Terrence Steele went down, he went into the game after, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Bell or ball who, who tried to fill in was getting overwhelmed and he just stepped in on the right side, even though he's a left tackle and, and got them through that. Now Tyron Smith back from injury is playing over there. Uh, you know, what a luxury to have been able to pull, you know, uh, what about, uh, you know, 15 years of all pro seasons to, to throw into your offensive line. Well, to say the least, and you know, we, we saw enough of, of Jason Peters in a, in a green uniform over the years, Jeff. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, you know what you have with him and uh, yeah, getting Tyron Smith back and having Zach Martin there at right guard, one of the, the best offensive linemen of the century. Uh, those, Keeping them healthy, man. You know, it's, it's that time of year. You showing up, me will put your uniform on as the first skill. Um, <laughs> the, the Cowboys are giving themselves a chance. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the playoffs. I can't say I, I have every year, um, the last ten or twelve years, but um, uh, yeah, if they can get over that Brady hurdle, it, it might get fun. Yeah, I hope so. Fingers are fingers are definitely definitely crossed as, as that is concerned. And of course, uh, you know, we are now in the midst of the college basketball season, conference play getting underway. Um, and of course you cover the Memphis Tigers uh, very closely in your duties. So, you know, give me your, uh, give me your take on what they have done so far in this campaign. You know, the, the Memphis Tigers have a roster unlike any I have seen in my, uh, you know, two decades covering the team, Jeff. And I'd go so far as to say it's unlike any that the program's ever suited up. It's, uh, it's 10 seniors, uh, competing for playing time. They, they have one, you know, redshirt freshman who's also in the mix, but it's, you know, who does this? And we live in a world, you and I have, have spent uh, the last 20 years watching one and Dunn's, you know, steal the headlines. And not necessarily, I would say, the, the national championships, the final fours, but it's the one and Dunn's that, that are, are making uh, the news in college hoops. And here you got 10 guys, um, five of them fifth-year seniors, so they're, they are the result of the, the pandemic and a, and a year of extra eligibility. I, I told someone earlier today. I think the Tigers are, are tournament built. You know, now they've got to get there. They, they've got to they've got to win in, in the league. And, and I, the American is better than it was given credit for. I, anyone who watched the, the Memphis Tulane game Sunday, the, the Green Wave. It's not just a football school. <laughs> they're they're they have a, a strong basketball team. So they they gave the Tigers their first league loss. Um, you know, Memphis needs to get into the tournament. Uh, I think. I, they need to have some success in the American and it's going to be hard to, to win that league with Houston. But um, the Tigers have these veterans and, and Kendrick Davis, you know, if any of your listeners have not watched him, he is a legitimate veteran, you know, college basketball star, you know, from the eighties or nineties, a guy who, you know, is his game going to translate to the NBA? We'll, we'll talk about that in June, but right now he's a guy who leads the American in scoring and assists, uh, wants the ball in the last two minutes, uh, gets to the foul line, He's the kind of player that that you do see uh, um, in that first weekend in April, playing in the in the Final Four, and um, that that's uh, that's been a dream of Tiger fans for a long, long time. And um, uh, they, I, I think they've got the kind of roster for it. It, it doesn't show in the rankings, uh, be it AP or the net rankings yet. They're not there, uh, but they they beat four SEC teams uh, in their non conference slate, and uh, I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna do some damage come March. You know, interestingly enough, you know, you mentioned the one and done stuff. And when Penny Hardaway came on board, he was riding that trade. Uh, Absolutely. So what, yeah. what What prompted him to make that switch? <laughs> it may have been whiplash. He's gone the other direction. I mean, having been somewhat burned with, with the James Wiseman story and then the Imani Bates story, 
um, two guys that were going to be that were going to come here and in one year uh, lead the the Tigers to 35 wins and a national championship, and everyone would stop talking about any other program in college basketball. And that, that it didn't come close for various reasons. I, I think Penny, if anything, he he saw some some veteran-led teams uh, with some success, both in the league and nationally. And, you know, I, I want some of those. <laughs> and you got this this current world where we have this transfer portal and, uh, again, that, that extra year of eligibility out of the pandemic win- winter. Um, you have these various um, factors in place that have set up this, this remarkable team. And, again, you, if you have 10 seniors, what's the one thing they all share? They want to win now. Yes. They want to win right now. This is it. There's not going to be any development or, you know, let's get to know each other for next season. They got to win now. So uh, that and that sense of urgency and, and the, the, just the sort of the grizzled vet quality. DeAndre Williams is, is 26 years old, for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> is, those are the intangibles, I think, that are going to make this, this Tiger team uh, somewhat special. And, uh you know, the, the why, I, I did my best to answer your question. I think Penny just saw the other way wasn't quite working. Let's go the entire other end of the spectrum and see what happens. So here we are. Yeah, quite a switch. And you, you, you know, I tell you what I've marveled about him as a coach is he is not afraid to look at other experience. Obviously, he had Larry Brown on staff. He has Frank Haith on staff now. Right, right. You know, the the, the former uh, Tulsa coach. I mean, uh, I, I find that a very uh, in. I find that a very interesting quality on him. Yeah, you know, um, the the program is pennies, and, and that in some ways more so than it is for most college coaches in the country. I think because the city is pennies. I mean, this is this is Memphis, and this guy was a, a superstar before he suited up at, at what was then Memphis State. He was a you know a high school legend at Treadwell here. Uh, so the team the program is pennies, but but he he's listening. Uh, you know he even his his first year um, on the sideline. You know and, and one of his assistants was Tony Madlock who who, who played with him um, when when Penny was a, was a sophomore. Um, he, he's been listening and trying to learn. I think as a Division One college head coach Jeff and. And, and maybe that's showing. Maybe that's showing some now. Um, the scheduling is getting better. I mean, he, he knows he needs to establish, you know, uh, credentials for the NCAA tournament before you get to January, particularly being in, in the American. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think um, what you've observed about Penny, his ability to adjust, willingness to adjust, is not a given for someone with his background, but he's, um, he's finding his way. Yeah, and it's I, I got to say, as someone that's been around Penny, sort of a, within his generation, you know, he, he's a couple years younger than me. It's it's rewarding to see him uh, continuing to evolve as a coach and leader. Yeah, and talking talking about evolution there, because you know, uh, and you know, this goes back to you know, people probably do things in life that mistakes that they regret and all that. I mean, he led a mutiny to get Brian Hill fired with the Orlando Magic. Right. <laughs> and, right. and 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 now it's at the opposite end of the spectrum you see that you know he he's a guy that's open to to, yeah. to different views and things like that so it is yeah you know it, it's funny it's not funny it's it's profound how you grow up from from a from being a superstar in your early 20s making gobs more money than your coach to being someone in your fifties, um, trying to establish credentials. Uh, you know, Magic Johnson did the same thing to Paul Westhead yeah. out in LA early in his career. And that, that's ugly. It's ugly stuff. And guys like you and I, I think who, who pay attention to some of the details and, and the structure of a, of a, of a 
of a franchise or a college program, it, it's not attractive. Um, I, you know, I've not brought the subject up to Penny. I, I must say, I, I, I need to ask him about that at some point, about perspective on uh, the Hill um, incident. Uh, but um, he's a different man now. He, he's an older man, a wiser man, as we all tend to be when age 50 comes along. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's all part of what builds us, yeah. those, uh, those, <laughs> those life hurdles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they say, hey, you know, I could go back and look through a litany of things I did when I was young and stupid. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My, mine, too. And they weren't on camera, weren't being reported by a by a, a newspaper or, <laughs> or a television show. That's right. Yep. No question. Well, Frank, as always, man, I, I always enjoy having conversations about sports with you. And I would like to give you the opportunity to uh, do some shameless plugs for your endeavors. Uh, so please, the floor is yours. I appreciate it, Jeff. You can find my writing at memphisflyer.com. Yeah, I, I'm going to be covering the Tigers through the winter and Memphis Redbirds baseball comes spring. And I'm, I'm still selling my novel, uh, Trey's Company, uh, T-R-E-Y apostrophe S, Trey's Company. You can find it on Amazon. It's a coming-of-age story for those of your listeners who might like The Sandlot or Stand By Me, uh, set in the early 80s. Um, it's a it's a fun book, and, and uh, you know, a, a novelist needs to sell books uh, the old-fashioned way. So hop on Amazon and and, uh, and and check it out, if you will. Outstanding. Frank, as always, I appreciate the time. Thanks, Jeff. It's always great talking to you. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net. Central Florida, it's Pebo Bryson. Baby, can you stop the rain? Double Grammy and double Oscar award winner, Pebo Bryson, performing live at the third annual Apopka International Jazz Festival, Saturday, March 25th, at the beautiful Apopka Amphitheater, hosted by world-renowned saxophonist Kim Water, along with urban keyboardist Kayla Water and jazz violinist King of String, Ken Ford. Pebo Bryson, live. For complete details, log on to International Jazz Fest.com.